everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Myo Minds podcast. As always, I am your host, George, and today is a very special episode, and I'm very excited. Today, I'm here with Dr. Yayan Kranswick. Hiya, Yayan. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, George. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's uh, like you. I'm just as excited about this, I think, as you are. Uh... Oh, good, good. I, I um, For the people at home, I am a huge fan of... Um, Dr. Kranswick over here. I, your paper on um, the insights to muscle dysmorphia I used for my dissertation. I must. I think I know that off by heart. Um, so <laughs> when when I like when um, Hannah from the Full of Beans podcast, shout out to Hannah, uh, mentioned yeah. that she'd had you on. And is that someone's phone? Is that my phone? Whose phone is uh, that? There we go. We'll leave that in. I am a. I am a. <laughs> I am a loser. Everybody. I said we we started five minutes early, and I. Um, didn't turn off my alarm. There you go, everyone. I'm a failure. As I was saying, anyway, I'm a big fan of yours. Um, I basically know that paper off by heart. And when <laughs> Hannah from the Full of Beans podcast said that she'd interview you, I was like, I have to send you a message and get you on the pod. So I'm very excited. Yeah, no, thank you. It's, uh, it's a while while back that paper. We I was kind of co-authored that uh, when I was still doing my PhD. So that was I was probably just as new to research then as a as a uh, so it's a bit it was a bit of a milestone for me getting a paper over the line albeit as a, a kind of co-author but um yeah it's it's nice to have a fan <laughs> you've got many of them <laughs> i am I'm, I'm a big nerd in this kind of stuff and that that's why i wanted to talk to you today about um originally i was going to talk mostly about muscle dysmorphia but then i read one of your recent papers and you told me about some more papers that you do and i think it'd be more interesting to talk about that because i don't know anywhere near as much about this stuff than than the other stuff i was going to talk about and i feel like it'd be fun just for me to ask you about it and just kind of learn and hopefully then listeners will learn as well so the what i wanted to start off with was i read your recent paper called i think it's called like man up pills or something take your man up pills yep. or something like that yep. and it's basically and it up pills. Yep. that's it and basically it's talking about um, masculinity and its role in muscle building behaviors or the kind of narratives that people create in order to um want to build muscle or feel the need to build muscle can you explain um, i guess in layman's terms or however you want to how exactly masculinity does influence that yeah, so that that paper came about. So my my whole kind of PhD thesis was, I've always well, I've, I'll start from the beginning. I've always been really interested in this from a personal perspective and kind of own battles and struggles with feeling a need to be muscular and bigger and all these kind of struggles that a lot of lot of men and a lot of young boys go through. Um, and there's a lot of kind of quantitative, so kind of numbers based survey work around there around these issues that kind of try and pigeonhole people and give them a score if you like or you are x amount of muscle dysmorphic or you are x amount of of, of being having a drive for muscularity and that that's all well and good we need some of these measures to try and assess people but what i started to realize as i kind of 
interacted with people and then when I got into research and started actually talking to people about this sort of stuff that we might as, as, as some men might share this drive for muscularity and, and want to be a little bit bigger or a bit leaner or or a bit of both even though we know that they're kind of two separate entities mm-hmm. um but what I was finding is that yes they all have this similar kind of desire but the actual fuel for it and the under, underlying drives of why they wanted to be bigger or why they wanted to be leaner had slightly different stories to them. Um, so, for example, I've got a lot of friends and uh, that, that have similar kind of drives as, as me and a lot of other men for, for muscularity. And some of those, their drives are driven around kind of sexual attraction and attracting women and this sort of stuff. Well, that was never really it for me. So I couldn't really relate with that as much. Mine was very much an identity issue and wanting to be seen a certain way and kind of portrayed. That's kind of, kind of the same with, with me. I, it was never a a thing around attraction. Maybe it was a little bit, but I think the, the majority of it for me was, and it's something I remember reading in the paper that kind of resonated with me or that I didn't even realize until it came up, but mine was less about maybe the, the, appearance itself but more at least initially about the um the the i don't know i don't know the word the kind of like aura that i presented as this like hard working like i would i would push myself until i like throw up and like like i would yeah. i wanted to be that guy i wanted to be the one that put in so much effort and that's what it was for me and i didn't even realize that there was that discrepancy from the kind of um you know the classic term of muscle dysmorphia wanting to look a certain way i didn't even realize that, that there was that gap there necessarily and, and that this paper kind of raised that to me so yeah it's really interesting yeah and it's the, 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 the and it might be the, the the element of that paper you're talking about there's a few few guys that I spoke to within that paper that kind of had that the, 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 it's hard to get away from the appearance because being being big and being lean is is a visual thing um but i think for some people that visual element is more a symbol rather than the kind of superficialness of it, if you like. Mm-hmm. So to, to look bigger and look leaner, man, this may be what you, what you were kind of relating to there. It, it represents that aura or it represents those traits that you talked about there. So there's a lot of people in that, in that paper that talked about, well, yeah, I want to be big and I want to look a certain way, but actually that's not the most important part of it for me. It's, it's wanting to look. So one of the guys, one of the guys mentioned about, uh, I want to be that guy that looks like I'm working hard or I want yeah. to want to display this masculine hard work and determination and some of these kind of more instrumental characteristics, mm. but the way to do that, and the way for to, to kind of get that message across to, to people was to look like you can do it. Um, and there's, there's a reference in there um, to a paper by Kurtzer who looks at this idea of bodily capital and the yeah. fact that um, that's kind of the fundamental theory that I kind of base a lot of my work on at the moment. And it's, it's, it's this idea that this, this muscularity is, is a form of capital for or a, a kind of a resource for, for some men to use to uh, in exchange for rewards so the, the the more muscle i have the more i look like i can do things or the more i look like i possess certain traits whether i do or don't doesn't really matter but do i look like i have them um, so it's this idea of the, the more muscle i have the more well well off if you like in in, in air in air commas in terms of whichever area i, I want to want to portray a certain message and for me what was interesting as well is i think that the, the, the fuel for that muscularity is quite malleable and quite flexible. So the messages I want to give across in a certain context 
will be represented by my muscularity. So if I'm, I don't know, for example, when I used to play rugby, I'd have this identity of a rugby player and I'd want to look hard and I'd want to look unfazed and my size would, would, would represent my performance on a field. Mm. But then my identity at work, I still want to be big and lean because that then makes me look like I'm in control. I've got some kind of superiority over students and whatever else because of that size. So yeah. the, the messages are different but they're all represented by that, that capital. So I've got that muscularity in my pocket, if you like, to then mm. spend in all these different contexts. Yeah. And that, that's, that's a kind of side, like a side of it that I'd never thought about. And I really love that, that explanation because it makes so much sense. It's almost like a, like a monetary system. Like yeah. as you, as you build your, this, this physique, this way about you, you can, yeah, like you say, you can almost spend it to get things back. Um, yeah. You can you can use it in different situations, and that that I like that because it's malleable. It's malleable, and it's like you know, it's it shows how intricate and how um, you know different this this can play out in different people and in different scenarios. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah it's re- it's really it's really interesting stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, it, I think for me that kind of helped me capture that this the shared goal that the goal is relatively similar. It's being big, it's being lean, one of one or one or both. But then, like I said, that that kind of then captures the the very different kind of multifactorial stories that that, that fuel that drive. Um, yeah. And and yeah, and, and that 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 was kind of where it all came from. And like I said, don't get me wrong, like you mentioned there, sexual attraction is a big thing for most men. So yeah. being a bit bigger and and we, I think, but the problem is, is that we we get socially taught that 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 is attractive when actually mm. in reality we know from papers done decades ago by pope and, and and a few other researchers that actually what men think women want and what women actually want are two very different things yeah it's in, i saw it in the um i'm presuming you're referring to the adonis complex the book yeah, yeah, was, yeah. I, I read that recently and yeah and, and there they, they i remember they um, just for the listeners at home they um got a group of, of men to I think they they recorded where where they thought they were on this like muscularity yep. index, um, what the their ideal body is, um, what I think it was what the average person has or the average person yep. in their group, and then also what the opposite sex is most attracted to, and yep. like you say, they 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 said that the like the most attractive the the most ideal thing for for women would be this huge muscular lean man, and then the majority of the women didn't they disagreed and said that that wasn't the case yeah. so it's almost like it's like um and i suppose it, it probably, it's probably even worse now because that was written in like the 90s wasn't it or like, yeah. i think it came yeah, out yeah, 2000 yeah. 2000 um, yeah. so you know it's probably even worse now with the the media how it is and the the masculine ideal body this this they're promoted by media and yeah. particularly in athletes and in like exercises that my mind tries to talk to the this group this subgroup of people um mm-hmm. you know we are the the ones almost you know there's almost an expectation to be looking this certain way yeah yeah definitely and and i think in the within the age of social media now and i i sometimes look at that and i'm i'm not i'm not old by any chance but i sometimes look at that and go well when i was going through my kind of real gym investment phase and and getting really committed to sport and stuff like that it wasn't really a massive thing whereas children or children i say children kind of adolescent boys growing up now it's everywhere yeah. they've only got to open up their phone and they've got pictures of basically messages going this is what you need to look like yeah if you want to if you want to be you want to be this person it could be a bloke in a suit and it's a massive bloke in a suit 
it could be a bloke in the gym and it's a massive lean bloke in the gym. Yeah. It's like, and it's these kind of messages that I think are really, really powerful and they're meant to be powerful because they're, they're, they're selling things. But it's quite damaging, I think. Um, there is a paper on the kind of capital element. There's a, there's a paper that looks at kind of um, experiences of, of PTs and kind of um, physical trainers and mm. the idea that their body is their business card. So mm. it's like I've got to look like I, I know what I'm talking about. A lot of the PTs I worked with when I was a PT, you wouldn't have, they, they weren't in great shape. And I, I often make the joke because those periods where I've peaked and troughed in my my kind of trading career and certainly since lockdown and having a child I've definitely gone off the peak from a physique point of view but it's it's kind of I always used to think well I might not look like these people want to look so I might not be huge and I might not be kind of bodybuilder lean but that's probably because I spend a lot of time helping other people achieve it that I haven't actually got time to do it myself and engage in it and uh, as much as I should but then if you look at it now, it's like it, everything is so kind of appearance driven that we now need to look like we can do things. It's not enough mm-hmm. to just be able to say, well, I can do that. You've got to look like you can do it as well. Yeah. Which is a bit of a bit of a conundrum to get over, I think. Yeah. And it, it's such a difficult thing to, like you say, with it being um, everywhere. And um, I think, I, again, in the in that Adonis Complex book, they talk even about like action figures, how... The, yeah. I think they use the Star Wars ones for as examples or something, but you know the the arms of a Star Wars character now are like twenty five inch, like bicep, yeah. like huge, huge arms. It's so like you're growing up as a kid and you're playing with these toys and they're just it's it's, it's kind of the same as you know we show so much around the 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 Barbie doll and how mm-hmm. that's like you know not a realistic body type, but it's kind of yeah. it's starting to be the same with guys as well, and um, I think the the conversation is starting to come about but i think it needs to be more so yeah definitely and i know the paper you talk about that they did well it was star wars these star wars figures and there was some gi joe figures as well with it being american and yeah it was ridiculous so they, they extrapolated some of those kind of um measurements out and they were just completely unattainable <laughs> like yeah. you're saying there's people with like 25 30 inch biceps and with a was still with a waist of only like 24 inches you think yeah. if you saw that person walking down the street you'd be like oh my god yeah. what, what does that but and, um yeah. But yeah and that and that then tied in with with social media and i speak i've spoken to um i've had a few people on on the podcast who uh like you know in the fitness world i had recently had luke bagster who was a yep. um like world champion he won the uh, mr universe in 2018 like really mm-hmm. successful bodybuilder um, and he was saying on you know he he said that you know people do you take photos of yourself when you're super lean and you look you have this like incredible body and the rest the rest of you you don't actually look like that like nobody no. keeps that constantly but if you're on if you're on their social media account you you think they look like that all the time and, and yeah. that's all and you think like well if that person can do it then obviously there must be something wrong with me to not be able to achieve that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that's that we, we like to document our best bits. It's a highlight reel, mm. isn't it, social media? Um, and, it, yeah, it's it's really, I think, we, we do talk about the media a lot, and it does play, and particularly kind of in modern era, it does make play a huge part in that. Um, but as you, you'll have read in the paper, that I think there's a lot of other, th- which, which is why it makes it very difficult for us to, so I know one of the questions, one of the questions I get asked a lot about muscle dysmorphia and stuff like that is that who's prone to getting it and who, how do people develop it? Mm. And that's still a question that we can't really answer because there's so many 
arms to it and yeah. some, the, the way I might develop a certain concern with my muscle or my physique might be different to the way someone else develops it. So yeah. someone might be very media driven um, and really fueled by that. Someone might be driven by something completely different. Yeah, um, I saw I saw a I saw a recent paper um, by I think it was uh, Scott Griffiths, but I might I might yeah. be wrong. Um, but he looked at the like finspiration and fitspiration, and they showed yeah. that um, that using social media. Uh, or using like image focused social media, just like Instagram and stuff, it doesn't not necessarily directly correlate with disordered eating in the, in this case. Um, yep. But actually, it, it increases. Um, so using it increases the amount that you're you're kind of subject to this thin spiration or fit spiration, and mm-hmm. then being subject to those those things makes you um, take part in physical appearance comparisons more more often. Yeah. And then those, that physical com- um, comparisons, they're what correlate with eating disorders or disordered eating symptomology. And I think yeah. I might, at least my thought, obviously I don't think there's a paper on this yet, at least maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I imagine it's similar with um, muscle dysmorphia or this, this thing that if you're prone to those physical comparisons or prone, yeah. whether it's conscious or not, that's probably yeah. what's going to make someone more favorable in, in that direction. Yeah. Well, there is this, um, um, some papers relatively recently by kind of Stuart Murray, Scott Griffiths, and that, that there's a big group over in, in Australia that, yeah. that really do some really, really good work on that kind of bridging the gaps between muscle dysmorphia and eating and disordered eating or eating disorders. And they kind of compared the, um, so eating disorder models with kind of how muscle dysmorphia develops and they find mm. similar things in that perfectionism is a, a, a kind of key player in that in that the more more perfectionistic states that you tend to have maybe the more vulnerable you are to developing these things yeah. and if we look at look at that alongside some of the kind of existing models of muscle dysmorphia from kind of early 2000s we're looking at that perfectionism's in there there's things like self or low self-esteem body distortion so dis- distorted views of the body media's mm. in there sport participations in there so there's all these different things and i think if it's then you might have one of those things but that doesn't necessarily leave you prone to it it's then maybe a, an accumulation of those things yeah. so if you are exposed to all that media you you have kind of a relatively low self-esteem you're highly perfectionistic you then start doing more of the physical comparisons it all starts then kind of layering up um, and I think the big, big thing with the, the media stuff and, and, and some of the stuff I'll talk about in a second in, in terms of from that paper is this, we start to internalize things a bit more then and mm. we're not just looking at it and kind of throwing it away, it then becomes somehow ingrained. In yeah. And that, that, that's what I wanted to ask you about kind of um, next was, I know in, in the paper, you talk about how we start to internalize what masculinity is or what like, mm. op, kind of, I guess, optimal levels of masculinity is or, you know, what, what it is that um you know as a as a guy we should be striving for and i think i think it seems to be from like a parental figure or at least from someone like that in your life from a young age can you tell us a bit more about that yeah so in that paper i took a kind of life history approach so i didn't just go in and kind of go straight in and ask about muscle concerns necessarily i kind of took a a life history perspective and just wanted to find out a little bit about these individuals how they grew up who they engaged with and and then kind of linked that them with their, their current relationship with muscularity and and i think it was quite revealing for even some of the people involved mm. in that they'd never really made a link between certain things but actually looking back they're like well yeah actually maybe that has kind of impacted how i feel so for example like, like you mentioned there a lot of the men talked about uh, a father figure 
or a brother or, or an uncle. It was usually kind of a, a male superior figure in their life that mm. they kind of looked up to. Um, and as you can imagine, a lot as a, as a young boy, you never, we don't really, we're not really too bothered about muscularity and how we look. Well, you'd hope not. I think it's probably going to be different the more the gen, as we move on as generations. Yeah. But a lot of these guys were growing up looking at their dads, putting them on a, that pedestal as role models, which is great. And I think that's a great thing. Um, but some of the messages that they were intaking and some of the things you mentioned earlier were things like, oh, my dad's a hard, works, hard worker. So someone talked about his dad used to graft 12, 14 hour shifts. There'd always be food on the table. They'd always sacrifice things for the family uh, and, and various other things. And now you look at that and go, well, what's that got to do with muscularity? But then you couple that with this individual's exposure to team sports, where he's looking at successful athletes who look a certain way. He's looking at um, the people around him in the gym and, and the, the, the people he's engaging with as well then and making those physical comparisons. So he then kind of ingrained this idea of hard work and these masculine traits of, of sacrifice and being a grafter, if you like, and providing and kind of bridged that with this successful image that he was being exposed to. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, well, well, my way of demonstrating hard work and being a, a hard worker is through training hard in the gym. And, and being big, if I look like this, then like you said, it's that yeah. aura of going, you look at someone and go, oh, he's in great shape. He must work hard. He must yeah. be committed. It's and kind of, it's almost like, like it's that, it's that capital, isn't it? Bodily capital. Yeah. I look this way. So I, there, there's proof that I can show yeah. like that I can do these things. And it's interesting just, just from a personal perspective, because I, I really resonate with that with myself because I'm definitely my kind of muscle dysmorphia head or whatever I want to say. Those, those thoughts have diminished a lot ever since I started pushing my own minds and doing more stuff with this. And I think what's happened is instead of using a bodily capital, I'm now using some kind of like success capital. Like I'm using like the, and that that's, what's keeping me like keeping it down. Cause it's like, and I do ever since I read that paper, I've been catching myself saying it a lot where um, I'll feel a bit bad about the way I look because the same as you lockdown has yep. definitely made my physique not as good as it was. Um, I guess it's subjective, but um, you know, I, if I ever do look in the mirror, I think, Oh, I, I don't like how I look in there. I just think, Oh, but remember what everything else you've got, George, remember how, like, how good these things are going. You just got a new job and like all this stuff. And like, it's like, yep. I tell myself, I build myself up with that instead. Yeah. And I think that's, and, uh, and that, that kind of links nicely with, so I remember Hannah in the in the Full of Beans podcast, nice plug, uh, get it out there. Um, is she she actually asked if, about any advice you could give to people? And I'm thinking, and I listened to your episode with Hannah, and, and I know how much of a difficult question that was mm. for kind of you to answer. Because, well, how do we approach someone that we think might be dysmorphic or have some form of dysfunctional behaviour? Because they might not see it as dysfunctional, they might not. So it was kind of a hard question to answer. But my response was that if we can find, and it's exactly what you've done there. So it's funny, actually, is if we can find other ways of fulfilling our identity mm. or other forms of capital that we can draw on to get the same, similar, same or similar results and feel that, that feeling of accomplishment and, and that, 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 um, that aura, I like that term, that aura that we give mm. off, then that then kind of, it never really, I think if it's there, it's often there. I think what we can do is just dilute that muscle desire a little bit and yeah and realize the importance of other things so there's a paper on drive for muscularity and it's called um searching for masculine capital by one of my kind of close colleagues uh chris edwards and david todd um and they kind of talked about this this idea of activating events so often emasculating events so 
relationship breakdowns and then suddenly mm. people's drive for muscularity goes up because they feel a need to um, kind of compensate for their that emasculating event and yeah. now I need to, to address that and compensate for it. But then in some people, there was this kind of idea of a stabilizing event where having a child or something that is kind of linked to masculinity mm. and their ability to be a father and this and that then kind of diluted that drive for muscularity a little bit. Mm. So I think you're, you're right in saying yeah. that if we can find other avenues to to get capital from um it can just kind of bring them down a little bit i don't think yeah. there's there's a, there's a fix for forever stopping us thinking that way and it'd be difficult difficult too and i don't think that would even be healthy because yeah that that kind of um tagged on something i was going to say then is that i often um get people who say you know surely striving for to be muscular and striving to be a success in sport and striving for for you know greatness or whatever it is and isn't necessarily a bad thing and and my and so like why am i trying to get people to stop and my answer is i'm not trying to get people to stop i just think you know when things go too far it's it's and it's having a negative influence on yourself you need to be able to recognize that actually there are other things you can use that isn't going to have so you don't get this negative influence you can like like you know like we're saying there you could um to you know, i guess having a kid is maybe a bit of an extreme step just have a kid yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. i mean like you can there are, there are you know you can start a business or just or yeah. just be like start to um almost force yourself change your narrative in your own head of what mm-hmm. is masculine and that's very difficult but you know if you kind of reinforce it in yourself that you know actually there are these other things about me that mm-hmm. are successful or, or whatever it is you want to um see your self-identity as and then promote that and you can still keep your drive for your strength and your size and stuff but it won't have as much of a hold on you and maybe that can be the start of you living a happy life that isn't completely encompassed by this thing that's that is having a negative effect on you yeah definitely and i think that's 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 kind of a really really good summary of that and thinking that um I'm of the same kind of thought process that we're not trying to stop. I, my research not trying to stop people having this goal for being muscular and, and, and having this kind of fit physique, if you like. Um, I train in the gym. I, I, I play, I do activities. I've played sports. So my whole life's been around kind of fitness and health and all that stuff. I, I teach in a health related course. So for me to tell people to not go and do these, these activities would be, would be kind of, questionable but like you said there it's when those activities and this could be anything we could be talking about anything non-fitness related yeah once that suddenly takes over everything in your life and it's the only thing you think about and if you don't do it you then get all these negative emotions these negative feelings you start engaging in these risky behaviors because you, you, you it's the be all and end all that's when i think it becomes unhealthy um yeah so i, I someone, often i i try i oh sorry i was, no, I was no, gonna say that i um because I, I always talk about this idea of um, how you know, exercise is is great and it is the reason it's promoted so much of a health benefit is because it is. It is yeah. fantastic for your physical and mental health. And I'm not trying to say that people shouldn't do it. In fact, I inspire people to do it if they aren't doing it. I think it's I think it's a really amazing thing. Um, yeah. It's just and I I can't I, I've been thinking about this for a, a couple of weeks and I can't quite think of a really good analogy. But the best one I've got is it's like work 
um, like working, you know, working hard and working for a, a long, a decent amount of time or whatever is obviously going to be beneficial to you and you're going to get good things out of it. You're going to be more successful, whatever, whatever. But if you start doing that in a, in an excessive, in a way that you can't, you feel like you can't stop, you're going to be tired. You're going to be stressed. You're going to, you know, things are going to start to fall apart. And it's the same with, with exercise or the same with the, these, these goals. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I don't think that's, I think that's a good analogy because, uh, um, I, I have a quite a good relationship with work where I find the balance quite easy, but I've got friends that have got into really successful jobs and that's what they're all, always about. But they've got to a point now where they don't enjoy their work. Mm. They work 16 hours a day and it's, they wake up and work, they, they work and go to bed. It's like, they've got all this money and all this success, but they can't do anything with it because they're yeah. physically exhausted, mentally exhausted. They don't like what they're doing. So it's like, yes, work's a good thing. But like you said, there you go over that line and then, anything we do we go over that line it's suddenly it's not having the effect that we set out for it to have um, and I think it's the same with exercise you, you talk to talk to some people that are quite quite far over that line and exercise isn't actually enjoyable for them eating's not enjoyable for them yeah. it is just a ticking the box for what they want to achieve so you look at people with muscle dysmorphia and their their kind of eating habits are just They'll eat every few hours, whether they're hungry or not. They'll force themselves to eat down. They'll wake themselves up at stupid o'clock in the morning to take protein on board yeah. because their body has to have it for what they need to achieve. Yeah. Now, I bet if you asked them prior or without any concerns, would you be willing to get up out of bed every two hours to go and make some food? I know if you asked me that, I would say, no, I'm yeah. okay. I like my eight hours sleep. Thank you very much. Um, so, but that, that's what I'm kind of get, trying to get at there. They often, they, they step over the line so much that these healthy behaviors that are part of their goals, suddenly don't become enjoyable. They just become kind of a necessity. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's almost like a subtle, because it, I think you know, it starts out as a healthy choice and it is obviously promoted as healthy. And, you know, I'm just going to eat, I'm going to eat rice instead of chips or whatever and it yeah. goes into that and then but somewhere along the line it starts to become okay now i need to eat every two hours now i need to blend my meals to make sure i get more calories and now i need to and i used to do all these behaviors so that's why yeah. i know them because it's it was me i was the person i would um yeah i would i always remember like the that i would hate certain exercises hate them but i knew they would build muscle or i knew like the, yeah. the bodybuilders say they do so i'd do them anyway and i'd be there like like i really don't want to do these four sets of whatever it is i'm doing um but i would be like but i have to it's like yeah. why do i have to like, and, and I, I i knew full well that i wasn't trying to be a professional bodybuilder i wasn't trying to do anything with my physique at all i wanted to work in other things but it just I needed to, and that's where that line comes in. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I was fairly similar. I've, I've got. A, I'd like to think I've got a much better relationship with training now, partially because I've got no choice with, with time and everything else. But I used to think if I wasn't in the gym for at least two hours, I didn't come out hurting, or the next day I couldn't walk. I hadn't worked hard enough. So yeah. I'd probably have to. I'd have to go in and make up for that in the next session. Whereas now, I'm lucky if I can get to the gym three days a week. If I can, I'm really happy. And in those three days a week, I'm in the gym for an hour maximum. I get what yeah. I need done. I do the exercises I like doing that make me feel good and, and still have the, the, the right benefits for me in terms of what I want to achieve. But then I don't go, oh, well, I, should, I need to do another 12 sets and I need to yeah. isolate this muscle and I need to do this because that, I need to build bigger arms. And, and I, I've kind of, I've, like I said, I've had a lot of different experiences to a lot of other people that maybe have stabilized that for me. But that's that's me with that a bit of a healthier relationship compared to where I was maybe three or four years ago. Um, 
So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's some, I think that's something people should strive for though as well. Is you know it's it is it is a hard thing to do, um, but striving for that goal of um, you know, doing doing what is fun and what is enjoyable, yeah. going in the gym and being like like I the 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 fact that I I'm I'm definitely not a hundred percent in a great place with it, but I'm so much better with my exercise now because I'm in a place where. I can be in the middle. I can be on my like first set of an exercise. And, and whilst I'm doing that set, I'm like, I don't really want to do this. And then I can just go and do something else. And it doesn't like, that doesn't stop me anymore. That's yeah. brilliant. I love that. Um, and I think that's something really to try and strive for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I, I think it, it, there's no real fix either. And like you said there, you, you still have struggle. I, I, I still have a lot of struggles. I go through peaks and troughs. And I think sometimes it depends on what you're exposed to in terms on what you see that day i can go a few days with actually going, you know i'm quite comfortable yes i'm not where i want to be really but i'm happy and i'm comfortable whereas then you might catch a glimpse of yourself in an awkward position in the mirror or you might walk past someone in the street or someone might bring something up from how you used to look and you go oh yeah actually and then that drags everything yeah. back right back down and you start thinking so i think that's normal and i think for anyone listening that is struggling i think that's normal you are gonna go through peaks and troughs it's just then having your own ways of coping with it in in a, in a in a healthier way it's not then going well right i need to get in the gym now i need to go do two hours because yeah. it's, it's not going to fix it yeah quickly and, for you yeah and that that kind of makes me uh, the fact that you're talking about these kind of um coping mechanisms and and you know, these i suppose these kind of support things that it reminds me of the paper and you talk about how when people's um, like muscular drive on this narrative of being this person gets disrupted by like an injury or something. Um, and the way people deal with that, that was really interesting to me that there were these three, three R's I th- I've gotten yeah. written down the reliance, yeah. redemption and relapse. Yeah. Um, can you explain what they are for us? Cause I think that they're, they're a good example of kind of maybe, maybe the, the more negative, ways of of these coping mechanisms then maybe we can talk about some of the more positive things that people could do instead yeah and uh, i think so so the paper just to kind of put into context for anyone that hasn't read it um is there's this underlying kind of narrative of masculinity that all these people i spoke to kind of expressed so i think i referred to it in the paper as the blueprint and it's kind of we grow up and we're exposed to these father figures, the brothers, the uncles and all these other people in our lives that kind of drip feed these masculine traits and, and expectations onto us. So we kind of generate this way of being and this blueprint that tells us this is how I need to be as a man. This is the aura I need to give off. And, and we live our life by that. And then through sport and the gym, these men then developed muscularity as, as a resource and a form of capital for for fulfilling that narrative. Um, whether that be presenting hard work or um, being coping with pain or whatever the 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 or and the message was, they found muscularity as a, as a way of doing that. And then somewhere along the line, and this paper was particularly looking at injury, was uh, and then we used injury as a as a as a disrupting event. But what happens when something something comes along that stops you being able to fulfill that narrative so suddenly yeah. you can't present present these messages you can't go to the gym and work on this capital um so i wanted to try and capture because i know from kind of personal experience and anecdotally that some people that get athletes that get injured will engage with rehab and they'll do all the right things and they'll do this and that they've still got this this body image they want to live up to but they can quite happily do that then i've got people that i've worked with and played with and, and treated as a practitioner that can't do that 
they'll they'll continue to train they'll they'll take supplements and they'll they'll buy into all these new things that means they can continue doing what they're doing and so i wanted to kind of get into the heads of of those people and just see well why are these people different what what's going on there Mm -hmm. so they all had this underlying blueprint masculine blueprint then they got injured and some of those people's in the in the people in the reliance narrative kind of were reliant which is where the name came from reliant on that masculine hegemonic narrative so they couldn't move away from the fact that they're they had to be big and muscular to present this this identity mm. so they then just kind of continued to default with everything that they were doing anyway regardless of the impact it was having on the injury it was just like well i can't not train if i don't train i won't be big and i won't be muscular which means i won't present this this image of of, of hard work and this and whatever else yeah and so just very... just to just to butt in quickly sorry that yeah. that that like reliance narrative that is one that i think is root most people will know someone who who is like that especially if you listen yeah. to this podcast with what i imagine i'll title it something to do with this but like i, I just quickly that i was that person 100 yeah. percent, especially when i was in my um kind of worst of my muscle dysmorphia i was the reliant one where i would have um i, I had back surgery when i was younger and right, yeah. um and i i occasionally get really bad pain around where i had my surgery if i do something wrong or whatever and it, it kind of goes and i would push through it because i couldn't not do it i had to go i would be in so, so much pain you know yeah but i would i would push through it anyway and i think looking at it now i know people who are like that who push through the pain and just don't like want to do any rehab and it almost seems like in, insane that like why why are you doing that like why not just fix it and then go but when you're in it it is so all-encompassing it just makes perfect sense like this you don't understand this i have to do this um and you almost you almost trick yourself into think you don't you don't see it as an issue you see it as just this is who i am like you don't get it you don't understand if people try and question it they just don't understand it's so strongly in in, like encapsulated in you yeah and and that's exactly it and it's it's that that feeling of need and that oh i can't this is the only thing i've known that's going to achieve what i need to achieve and and if you look at with the life history is really useful for that because when you look back at some of those reliance uh, people had a reliance narrative in relation in response to their injury and you look at the the things they were brought up with in terms of their exposures their interactions it was all very much um kind of get on with it it was kind of uh, yeah. in, in sport if you're injured well oh, he's not playing again why are you not doing this you're not like the rest of us and it's like oh well i've got to rely on being big and being muscular and continue to do what i need to do to maintain that image because yeah. if i don't do it then i'm not who i want to be um whereas then there were people in a redemption narrative which was a slightly more kind of positive narrative if you like in that they they got injured and they then kind of still wanted to present project these masculine images and everything that their 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 fundamental narrative was about and their fundamental identity was about but they just kind of found different ways of doing it so they kind of went well okay i'm taking myself out of the gym i'm not lifting 100 kilos i'm not deadlifting i'm not doing everything that's 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 getting me to where i was before but through rehabilitation i can set myself goals i can go and i can work hard on my rehabilitation Mm. i can show that i'm working hard and i can do all these other things that still still project that that image that i want with the aim of getting me back on track so i know that doing rehabilitation is going to give me some of these traits that I'm, I, I live by but at the same time it's going to get me back to where i want so i'm going to redeem my original identity just by going down a different pathway which is where the redemption came from it was about changing tact with the view of getting yourself back on track if you like yeah um and then there was the relapse narrative which was kind of a flip between the two so you had some guys that attempted to try and do something different 
but then external pressures kind of was like no that's not working you need to just go default back to everything yeah. you're doing and i think the the, the thing that that really came came through from that in terms of the differences between the, the three R's and the three different kind of response narratives was was those external factors and and the kind of things that they were they grew up on and the things that were going on around them uh, and the things that they were internalizing so and that's where the title of the paper came from there was someone in the relapse um, narrative who said they tried doing a bit of rehabilitation so now i've got a bit of a niggle i'm just doing a bit of this and someone yeah. said to them i'll just take some man up pills and get on with your normal training and it's like yeah. so then in their mind it's like going oh yeah well i just need to do what i normally do to maintain that image me yeah. doing this rehab and stuff isn't working i need to be big and i need to be seen to be working on bigger muscles so i think um, i think that's such an interesting one because again it's something i resonate with massively when i've been injured and a friend or someone i know has just said like oh you know like everyone just has pain like sort like sort your head out i think yeah. it's almost like um we i think it's one of the reasons why we why people often are so hard on themselves as well is is you perceive everyone else in the way that they show themselves whereas you perceive yourself with everything that happens with you so every um little moment of negativity every time you fail every time you maybe maybe aren't as in as much pain but you kind of you know you're putting it on a bit more for whatever reason or you know any all these little things so when someone else says to you or like you know sort your head out like it's only a bit of pain you you i think it's it's easy to internalize that as these guys are feeling the exact amount of pain that i am feeling going through the exact same experience and they're pushing through it anyway whereas really what's probably happening is you've got a much more serious injury than they are than, than what they're comparing it to yeah. but you immediately go oh they they've had this exact same experience and their more their their manly response their masculine response was just to push through it and and they if they were in this situation they would push through it and i'm weak because i'm not doing it so now i yeah. have to um and then that just internalizes into this spiral i think it just it's um yeah yeah exactly and there was there was one one individual in that paper who was in the reliance category and um so he didn't he was very much like that he, he didn't like the fact that people were he felt he, people lost respect for him because mm. he wasn't doing what they were doing. And like you said, wasn't kind of projecting that masculinity through pain and, and the thought of withdrawing himself from normal training and everything else just wasn't an option. And then you looked at his backstory and uh, he, his father had had several heart surgeries and he talked about his dad being this big guy and mm. had this kind of, he walk in a room and instantly grab, grab people's attention and have this kind of this, this real masculine aura but he had all these kind of multiple surgeries and then and, and his, he did actually, he lost his father at quite a young age. So you then look at that and go, well, that's exactly what he's trying to do. And he actually mentioned, he was like, so seeing my dad in all that pain and still providing for us and still having that image made me want to show I could push through pain and put my body through pain as well. Yeah. So he's kind of carrying that and his training, his muscularity, his, his way of, of emulating that and going, well, you know, I can do it too. Um, yeah, so, I, think, yeah it, I think I I'm I'm in that boat. Um, you know, I said that I my kind of muscle dysmorphia is around um that put like wanting showing that I'm pushing myself. <laughs> like my or like being able to push through pain in particular, like I said I would push like I would try and like usually a workout, like especially in my leg days, it would always be like I have to make myself throw up, otherwise it's not successful. It was that it went yeah. to that that level. And I think it was because of a big 
kind of link possibly would be because my, my dad was such a, my dad was a rugby player and he was so known for being like hard as nails. He's got two like scars on his eyebrows because his eyebrows were split open every game. And I'd always yeah. meet his rugby mates when I was growing up and they'd all tell me about it and stuff. So I think I, my persona of what masculinity is, is you can take pain and you can push yeah. yourself through it. Um, and that's what I've had to kind of, you know, I, I see a counselor now every week and that's something that we're working through is that breaking that down and, and realising yeah. that actually you don't need to do that. And so I really yeah. resonate with that one myself. Yeah, and it, it, like I said, everyone's got different stories. So for me, my struggles with it were, it, it, like I said, a very much an identity issue. So I'm not a big guy. I'm, what, five foot eight at best and always struggled to put weight on as a youngster. Um and then finally got into good shape and I was playing rugby and whatever else. But then you get up into kind of adult age rugby and even going through school rugby, there's always lads a lot bigger than you. Mm. So I, I, I always kind of performed well. So I, I ended up being sort of a forte in the game was tackling because I always just try to prove myself and go, well, I'm small, but I can hit you just as hard as you can hit me. Yeah. So I got a bit of a name for myself in terms of being a quite defensive player and being able to hit hard and defy laws of physics sometimes. Um, <laughs> But then the, the the backside of that is you think, oh, well, that's good. You, you're doing well and you're performing well. But then for me, what the thing that really used to get on my back was you'd be out with all your teammates and you'd maybe start to see people or you'd, you'd just walk around town and, and you'd see people and they'd be like, oh, you don't look like a rugby player. Yeah. You can, so that, that for, for me, stood in front of them then, they, they don't know what I'm capable of, mm. but they're making the judgment based on how I look. So then all I kept thinking was, well, I just need to get bigger and bigger and bigger not for the performance benefits because I knew I could do that. It was the, I need to show everyone I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so that, that like external that's... perception of you was, was made, lived up to what you were actually doing. Yeah. And there's a, there's a few lads, a few guys I've, I've spoken to uh, as part of um, another part of one of our PhD projects. And they mentioned a similar thing in, 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 in relation to the gym. It was like one of them actually said, I know I can bench 140 kilos but that person walking past me in the gym mm. doesn't know that I can by looking at me because he's quite a tall guy. He's not massive. Um, and he was saying, well, I want to look like I can bench 40, 140 kilos. So it's kind of my, his, his performance levels were up here and he wanted to, he, his, his, his image was below that. So he wanted to kind of bring his image up to match his, his physical performance, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, like you said, it's that, it's that external presentation of what we're capable of. And that's where that capital element comes in. It's like I'm building muscle to reflect what I can do and, mm. and then get that in exchange for the rewards or whatever it is, the, the identity satisfaction or whatever that might be. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I, th I think it, that's what makes it so complex is because there's, there's similar stories out there, but everyone kind of has these slightly different tacts, slightly different um, influences. So it, it makes it quite hard to, to throw a blanket over the development and the treatment and yeah, and it's, it's, it's just such a complex thing, isn't it? There's so many things that that play into it, and so many different ways of reacting to different situations. And there's there's so much. And and before we kind of um, move on, I, I want to talk about another thing in a second. But yeah, I I, I kind of said I, I think it'd be good to mention what do you think is so th those seem to be more of a negative way of coping with an mm -hmm. injury or something that breaks down. Do you do you think you have an example, or what do you think would be an example of a more positive way? Um, or do you think that would just be potentially just just not being um, that reliant on that masculinity, I guess? I'm not sure. I think in an ideal world, yes, it'd be not being reliant on that. But uh, then I think anyone that, that tries to live up to an identity 
it, it's it's not that simple as you go oh I just, yeah. I just I just won't be a rugby player for a few weeks yeah. while I'm injured it's it, it's hard to do that and if it's everything that you've you've always done I think I think from from that perspective it, it, it's it's finding those other avenues it's going right okay what can I do in the means even if your ultimate goal is to get back to on track with with kind of lifting weights or whatever the, that was your original narrative was about mm. and that's fine but maybe thinking okay well is there something else I can do that will just just help me be me in a slightly different way that that still presents some of these traits like you said getting a new job um some of these other things that might might help me might not hit all the boxes but something other way of 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 satisfying what I want people to think about me and say because ultimately that's what we all do as much as we maybe try and deny it. We all try and please someone somewhere along yeah. the line. So yeah. I think finding ways of other ways of doing that, which is much easier said than done, uh, granted. Um, but I, I don't think there's kind of a pill we can take or a, or a particular thing we can just tell ourselves and we'll suddenly do it. It's, yeah. we're, uh, we're complex beings. Yeah. I think uh, 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 I recently read um, the presentations of self in everyday life by like a guy called yeah. something Irving, or I can't remember what his name was now, but, um, and I, I swear that book talks all about, you know, how we're all, we're all presenting ourselves. We're all actors yeah. in a way, you know, yeah. I, the way, the words that I have chosen to add to my vocabulary, the way that I pace, the way I, I speak, the way that I look at people when I speak, I'm all, I'm, whether it's conscious or not, I'm doing it because I'm trying to display mm -hmm. a, what George is, like what I am. I'm trying yeah. to show you, I'm trying to make you think a certain way about me, the same way you're trying to make me think a certain way about you, whether we know it yeah. or not. Um, and that's why these kind of, you know, when masculinity becomes the reason you're doing that, it can, when something gets in the way, it can be debilitating. But like you said, finding something else that you can attach onto your worth and say, well, actually, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I can't train right now, but I'll be, um, I'll read some more, like, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll gain some intelligence or just some, you know, some, something else that makes me feel good about myself. Yeah. And the, and the kind of, a lot of the work that went into this paper was based on um, other narrative work through, through kind of injury, injury specifically. And there's a lot of working on spinal cord and, and life-changing injuries. And there, some, some narratives I developed were based on, on kind of uh, existing narratives. And one of those is a, is a quest narrative. And it's this kind of, uh, in, the, in the, the spinal cord, some of the spinal cord injury papers, it's they, they find new ways of being. So mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're kind of finding different avenues and different ways of being. So a quest to, to um, not necessarily change their identity, but just find a new way of living. This is mm -hmm. the new me. Um, yeah. this is how I have to now live or this is if, if it's forced or finding like I said finding that alternative way of of being someone that you want to present and being yeah. that person that you want to did, present. did you mention that in the in that man up pills paper because it's ringing yeah. bells that question yeah, so thing is, yeah a guy called Frank um brought them up so there was there's kind of a quest narrative and then there's chaotic narratives that just have kind of no plot and are really kind of uh, quite dooming narratives where it's just well that's the end of my life that's that's all that's that's it that's I, done i love i love i love the the like i haven't read enough into it and i really i should do more because i love i find it so interesting the narrative stuff the fact these stories that we, the way that we tell ourselves a story is how, how we are how we live it's it becomes reality literally what you tell yourself in your head is real it becomes real because you're told it to yourself which i think is incredible i think that's so amazing and um, i think that's so interesting and 
um yeah it's, it's really and and I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of spotting the time and i don't want this to run on for too long so i'm going to go on to our next question i feel like i can yeah, speak yeah. to you about this stuff for, for years <laughs> yeah. so i'm gonna i'm gonna move on but um one of the other questions i really want to talk about today was the fact that um so recently i read a paper i can't remember who it was by but you might you might know it but it was looking at um masculine discrepancy so like the difference between what we see as the ideal level of masculinity and what we see as ourself how big that difference is um that seems to correlate with muscle dysmorphia and um i guess my, my question was and it's quite a difficult one to answer but you know why do you think that discrepancy is a thing why do you think guys today don't think they are masculine enough i suppose we've, we've touched on it slightly with the these internalizations from a parental figure or something but yeah what, what are your thoughts on that uh yeah it's a great great question and one i'll try and uh, try and answer as, as best almost I an can. impossible question so yeah, I apologize, um, but... no no it, that and i think that that discrepancy is 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 a big factor in in why we do it because we, we see where we want to be and we see those goalposts and we see where we perceive ourselves to be. And we know, we know from literature that majority of people will underrate themselves anyway. Mm. So where we actually think we are and where we actually are might be different as well. So there might be a discrepancy between that and then the discrepancy between where our ideal is. We've kind of mm. got all these different things in, into playing. Um, and I think the reason that that might lead to these dysmorphic ideas is, and, and I've been, guilty of this and the majority of people will i think those goalposts move yeah i think yeah. we we look at things go oh, that's where i want to be that's where i want to look like and then you go right okay i've reached that i'm now eight percent body fat and i'm 13 14 stone oh but i can be bigger there's bigger people out there yeah. so then that goalpost that we had this person here we then go find someone else that's bigger and more lean and you go oh now i'm aim for that and then they move and i think you you might have alluded to it when you uh, i listened to you with, with hannah and it's like we, we, we might have this desire to get big and we go, right, oh, these, these big blokes I'm seeing on telly, the Sylvester Stallones and the Arnold Schwarzeneggers on the, yeah. and, and all those all those people. And we go, right, I want to be big. And then we get as big as we can. And we go, yeah, but now I'm not very lean. And then yeah. we look at all those lean figures and we go, I want to be that lean. And we get back down to that lean figure and we go, oh, but I'm not big anymore. Yeah. Now I need to, so, so I think that's, that's part of the problem is those goalposts and that discrepancy moves with us a little mm. bit in that, if it is always being bigger, we'll always find someone. And someone, I think someone mentioned it in either was it that paper or was it my other PhD paper? I can't remember which one it was because I've done so many interviews. <laughs> he talked about there's always someone bigger. So yeah. You get there. There is always someone bigger and stronger than you. Yeah. So it doesn't matter where you get to, you will always find someone that's bigger and stronger. And then suddenly that goalpost goes, oh well, there is more out there. Yeah. I do need to get more. So I think that that is my take on it. That's very much anecdotal based on people I've spoken to and um, a little bit around some of the literature, but I think that is, that is just what, how I see it in that yeah. we have, yes, there is that discrepancy and we do have these ideals that we internalize and we look up to, but then I think those, we, those discrepancies move with us. We'll always find someone bigger or leaner and then that goalpost will move or it'll change yeah. and create, create a new discrepancy. And I don't know if that's part of the problem. Is it that we like the chase? is it yeah, it's I, not necessarily the goal i think i think to i think and this, this is why it's such a difficult thing and and um you know re another reason why I, I always say that i'm not trying to diminish people you know wanting to train or wanting to strive for greatness because i think i think being a a human being i think what like the way we work is we want to pursue stuff if if we had every single thing we want 
we would we would just be we would be praying for something shit to happen just so something like if we just yeah. all lived in just bliss and perfect yeah, yeah. like we'd just be like please something break or something like something <laughs> happen please like you know what i mean um and so i think to a point we we should be striving for something and there should be that goal but it's just it's it's perfectionism versus dysfunctional perfectionism striving for something great is is fantastic but when you're um it's an impossible task to achieve that constantly and when and when you can't achieve it constantly when that turns into i'm a piece of shit i am they can't i can't do anything i can't whatever that self-critical behavior that's when it's an issue and then when also it becomes that rigidity that behavioral rigidity that's in the kind of exercise addiction literature and compulsive exercise it's it's quoted a lot this um not feeling comfortable in changing the way that you Mm -hmm. do things when that starts to come in as well that starts to you starts to just i think they accumulate and turn into this exercise addiction which can possibly feed into eating disorders and possibly feed into some form of muscle dysmorphia and and kind of spirals out of control and that's where the issue is and i forgot my point now but I feel like I've hit it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, no, I think yeah. you get that. And I think that, that that's exactly it. It's when it, it when I think it's when something, whether that's the the chase in terms of the the, the training or the eating or the the in, in, those kind of activities to achieve our goal. I think when they become win at all costs and suddenly start eating into. Um, so if you look at one of the key fundamental characteristics of muscle dysmorphia is that social and kind of occupational impairment so mm. i can't go out and meet friends because i need to train or i can't go out for meals because i don't I'm, i don't know what the macros are i don't know if that's got the amount, right amount of protein i don't know what it's cooked in and i don't know yeah. this and that so i won't it's easy just to not go out and socialize or i can't go out and drink because if i go and drink alcohol i'm gonna get really fat and i'm not gonna i'm, I'm gonna lose my leanness well mm. and it's that kind of when it starts to impair those things or, and if you look at some of the case study work by kind of Stuart Murray and Scott Griffiths, there's something in there that people losing jobs because they're, they're putting training first. So they're turning up late to work because they're in the gym or they're having to leave work early to go to the gym. That's when it, it, it starts to become a win at all costs. And I think that like with the exercise addiction literature, it's that rigidity of going, well, can't not do it. What there's, there's, there's no way that I can't do it so I'm yeah. just gonna have to stick with it whereas I think where I've kind of got to a little bit with it not saying that I was ever muscle dysmorphic or anything like that but kind of those those struggles I have it's that idea of oh you know what I've missed the gym today it's all right I'm not suddenly just going to balloon and I'm not going to suddenly overnight lose all my muscle mass mm. I'll just I'll make sure I go tomorrow and th- even that making sure I go tomorrow is probably not completely healthy but mm. I'm not then sat on that day that I've missed the gym beating myself up about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's not and it's I not think... it's not having that impact on your on yeah. your life as much. Yeah. Yes. And it kind of it, it, I, I don't think I've told this on the podcast before, but it just reminded me then when you're talking about the kind of occupational things. I used to work at um B and M, you know, the big mm-hmm. the big yep. shop. I used to work at that. And um in I remember in the middle of my shifts, this is um probably shouldn't be well, it doesn't matter does it but uh, i'm not gonna be working at b&m again but in the middle of my shift me and one of my one of my mates there who we were both um like so like honestly driven for for thing but i was i was definitely just kind of i never i was never diagnosed with but i've kind of self-diagnosed myself with muscle dysmorphia because i seem to have all the symptoms um yeah. 
and in the middle of our shifts, we would go into the the warehouse and we'd pick up these like gas canisters and we'd be doing like shoulder press reps in the, and we'd literally just go in and, and we'd spend yeah. 10 minutes doing, doing a workout, then come back on the shop floor and go back and we'd get told off and stuff all the time. And like, it's a surprise that I didn't get fired because, you know, they, they, they would, there were multiple times where we'd go around like the corner and the boss would come around the corner and look, be stood there like, what are you doing? And we'd just be there like repping our <laughs> shoulder press. And it's funny now, but like, you know, looking back, but it was like, it was, it was just, yeah, it was, it was not, it's not good in it. And it, you know, that side of it is funny, but there was the other side of like, you know, going home and feeling small and feeling like, Oh, I could have yeah. done more. I should have, you know, there's yeah, all yeah. these, these feelings that come around it. There are a struggle. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, there's, there's a lot of people can relate to that as there's a lot of times I've been looking around and any opportunity you get to do a, a curl or a press or lift something yeah. heavy, you go, I'll, I'll do that. Cause it, it'll count towards my uh, bit of work. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I'm, we're, I, I don't want it to keep us on for forever. No. I feel like we're, we're starting to already. Um, but I, I wanted I just waffle. a quick, no, no, I honestly, mate, like if, if, if it wasn't for me wanting to keep the podcast to a certain length, I would, yeah. I could feel like I would talk, I'd talk to you for like six <laughs> hours. I'd be more than happy, but I just, I want to make sure that people aren't, you know, getting, um, scared away from the podcast when they see like four hours on the, yeah. on the thing. So, um, <laughs> So I wanted just to mention at the end, I know you said that you're doing a couple of studies at the moment, um, yeah. looking at kind of COVID and also looking at um, steroid use. Could you tell us about the, the COVID study first? Like what's the, what's the premise of it? Yeah. So like I said, I'll give you a quick overview because yeah, I'm conscious of your time as well. Um, so the COVID studies basically, um, again, I'm always fueled research ideas about my own experiences and talking to people. So there's some, some research coming out about the, the, relationship or some of the, the patterns that COVID and lockdowns have had in kind of eating disorder communities and um, more uh, preoccupation with food and, and, and more dysfunctional relationships mm. with food and higher exposure to social media and in that we've just got nothing else to do but look at our phones. Yeah. Um, so, but there wasn't much on muscularity and I'm thinking, well, particularly with the gym closures with lockdown is what impact has that had on the people that are really driven by muscularity and suddenly mm. they can't go and lift the weight that they need to lift and maybe they can't get access to the kit that they need what what are the experiences of these people from a both negative and positive so that you might get some people that it's had a real negative impact on maybe more preoccupation with how they look more negative thoughts and more checking but then i'm thinking well there's maybe some people out there and this is partly where i've kind of got a little bit better with it is that um being at home with family and friends and having that more a bigger more frequent part of their daily life has that then made them realize you know what there's more to more than just being muscular and so i'm just i'm just kind of um want to be kind of open to well what what were the experiences of these people some might have gone one way some might have gone the other but just particularly when you have a big element and a big part of of your daily behavior and activity associated with muscularity in the gym and suddenly that's taken away from you. Mm. What impact has that had? Yeah. I, I guess so. there's also the the impact of like the, the social aspect of the gym. Cause I know for, for a lot of people that um, having people see them lifting weights and the kind of mm-hmm. like discourse, the, the conversations people are having with people in the gym and talking about yeah. it. And that it's almost like a, 
sometimes a positive feedback loop of people saying, oh, you, you look big today. And then being yeah. like, oh, I do look big today. People like me because I'm big. And, and it maybe maybe that's changed things as well, having to train at home. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's such an interesting idea. And I, I'd love to, I'd love to um, see, I'm very excited for that paper to come out because I, I want to read it hundred percent because that sounds so interesting. Um, yes. uh, yeah, so we're just working on it at the moment. So we'll uh, hopefully get, get some data collected very soon. We've not, we've not got it through ethics just yet. So uh, I just don't see there being any issues, but we're hoping to start kind of data collection the next month. So. Oh, awesome. Well, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to be an interviewee or an interviewer. Yeah, yeah. Let me know. Yeah. Um, and the steroid one, please tell me yeah. about that as well. So that's come kind of a, a part two, if you like, it's, it's not a part two, but it's kind of off the back of the, Oh, take um, some man up pills paper I want to mm. look at a life history um of steroid users and looking at their kind of experiences over time in terms of trying to explore is there any, any activating events what are their whole kind of life experiences and the, the build-up to steroids mm. what made them suddenly decide that steroids is the way forward for me um and, and 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 then kind of the daily experiences of a steroid user mm. so it's kind of it's it's a it's a it's a not a pro steroid research paper and it's not an anti-steroid it's very much i'll just want to know what what it yeah. is that makes people want to take steroids are there any kind of common activating events who are the key players and 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 what are a bit like i wanted to do the muscularity what are the 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 underlying drivers to take steroids yeah. is it is there this identity drive and that sort of thing so it's, yeah. it's a similar kind of approach to the 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 masculinity paper but from a steroid perspective mm. i think i think a really like my take on steroids i think i think what's more interesting at least for, from my perspective anyway if you're if you're someone who's within muscle dysmorphia and especially if you're like someone who's going around that kind of um muscularity oriented disordered eating and that 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 cycle of of um, body dissatisfaction that you mentioned earlier like i yeah. want to be big but i want to be lean i want to be big i want to be lean and um, i think the the in the what i find so interesting is because i i never took steroids and the thing that i find really interesting is i think it's more interesting why people don't take steroids than why people do because i think it makes perfect sense to me why people do um and maybe you'll come to that in the in the paper but you know if you're if you're if for myself i was so obsessed with i need to be as big as possible but i also need to be as lean as possible and one of the only ways that you can achieve them both at the same time is through taking some kind of exogenous drug um yeah i'm sure there are some people i'm not trying to you know i'm sure there are people who are genetically gifted whatever blah 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 um but you know i think the the amazing thing for me and the thing that i i've tried to kind of um think about in myself is is why didn't i like that's that's crazy to me because i was so much in that world but i still didn't want to maybe that was part of my narrative what do you think about that like what why do you think people don't take them i guess or that do you think that makes sense what i'm saying yeah no definitely and it, 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 i agree with you it's equally as interesting for me as to why people don't and maybe that's some, another another paper off the back of this is we look at why people do and why people don't but um talking to some people that have and that's what's kind of inspired this story is that idea that uh steroids give you more bang for your buck you've still got mm. to work hard you've still got to do all the things that i'm already doing uh, i've reached my genetic peak as they talk about why would i not yeah. i want to be big and i want to be lean why would i not i'm still engaging in they, they often go through, some people talk about go go down the health narrative i'm still being healthy i'm training all the time i'm eating mm. well and uh, this is no different to me going out and drinking. I don't drink. I 
don't smoke. I don't do these other behaviors. I'm, I'm wanting to be big and lean. So they kind of, some of them are of the opinion, well, why wouldn't I, mm. if, if it's going to get me to where I want to be. Um, so the reason some people don't, and that there's probably multiple reasons. There's probably the, the whole stigma around it. Um, is it seen as cheating? Is it seen as unnatural? Is it, is it, the, is it the side effects that put people off? Mm. Um, so I couldn't really tell you. I don't know where I really sit with that in terms of I'm not in. I haven't got one kind of answer to it. There's probably multiple reasons. Like I said, I'm not pro and I'm not anti-steroid. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pro understanding. I want to yeah. know yeah. And if that is if that is someone's coping mechanism for for what they want to do. What I'm then want to do is reduce the stigma. And then if you reduce the stigma of something, I find or I, I kind of perceive that the support gets better. Yeah, and then yeah. if you're then more educated on steroid use and what to do and where to go, then if that is your means of coping, you can do it yeah. safely. And you it's, can like, do it in it. it's like um the like health literacy, isn't it? The more yeah. you understand it, the more likely you are to then go and get help for it. And that's yeah. part of, part of the reason why I'd, I'd set up my own minds and why I'm trying to do what I'm doing here is that pe- like exercise addiction and things like muscle dysmorphia and things like that are just seen as positive at the moment like as far as i'm as far as i see it, it's very rare you come across someone being like oh i think you're doing something too much it's just like oh you're so healthy wow you yeah. run you run two marathons a day wow like that's amazing you're incredible but like there is also the negative side to that and i'm not trying to stop people from doing it what i'm trying to do is just be like this can be a problem if you think yep. it is you can get help for it you can go yep. to a doctor you can go and see somebody and you can get help for it um, and that that's what's important and also just to add on at the end there um i am by no ways condoning steroids or and no. neither of us are um no. we're not saying that you should be taking them we're just we're just talking about it and um, please don't don't use this yeah. as a way of, of making yourself take them please don't um there are multiple health risks that come along with them um but anyway um we're, we're kind of coming to the end here. We've been speaking for an hour, maybe just over. Yep. Um, and I, I want to ask you, I asked five, uh, three questions that aren't questions to everyone um, that comes on here. And I want to rattle them off. So is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Question one, name a person, either real or fictional, who inspires you? Uh, uh, this, these questions you sent me, they're probably the hardest questions of everything <laughs> that you put in there. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was, and it's got nothing to do with muscularity or anything like that. It's, um, it was probably my stepdad in that the way we were brought up, taking on a young child and then mm. uh, kind of bringing someone up as your own, regardless of, of biology and, and blood. And, and then a lot of the traits, and it's kind of related to what I talked about in the paper, I guess, a lot of the traits that he instilled on me, I kind of take forward with now with my little boy and try and mm. try and live those out. So he's been a real inspiration to me and kind of got, got me to where I want to be, completely different fields of, of work that we do but in terms of the whole work ethic and process that's mm. probably my stepdad yeah right, well it sounds like an awesome guy yeah. um question two is name a moment in your life that you didn't like at the time but now looking back at it you know that positives came from it uh for me this one was a little bit easier it was so the going through kind of my degree and everything else always wanted to be a PE teacher and uh wanted to get with pgce finished my undergrad degree applied for pgce three times didn't get on got to the point i was like you know what uh, teaching's just maybe not for me mm. um went and pursued the sports therapy route went down there started practicing got my own business and then 
cut full circle. I'm now lecturing back in the yeah. teaching environment. And actually where I've got to the lecturing, I think if I'd have gone down that PGC route, I wouldn't have got the PhD and mm-hmm. I wouldn't be in the research. So I think without that happening and not getting on those things, I wouldn't be where I am now. So that's really cool and i look i always say this but i i think that's my favorite of the last three questions because i love i love that the lessons that that brings like you know if someone's listening here who maybe is especially at the moment struggling to get jobs and struggling to get things like it actually might end up being the thing that you're like oh thank thank god that didn't happen (laughs) like um so yeah that's really cool um and the final one is a phrase to live by yeah, and this, and this is, a, again, this was probably a bit easier. Uh, it's one thing I say to everyone and I say it myself and I, I say to everyone is uh, the motto I live by is regret the things we do, not the things we don't do. I'd much rather regret doing something than going, oh, what if? So, yeah, just, just yeah. I like take that. that how you want. Again, I'm not condoning going and trying in every, anything <laughs> and everything, but it's just uh, let's 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 not be afraid to t- take risks in terms of if it's a new job or anything like that, just regret trying it and failing it rather than going well what if i had tried it where would i be mm. so, yeah. yeah that that's I, I love that i love that and it reminds me of um one that i love that was um i think it's richard branson who said um when you an opportunity comes your way say yes first and then learn how to do it after yeah. and i've been going with that for ever since i read that so um yeah, yeah. thank you so much Ian, for for coming on today no, i hope thank, you thank i hope you. you've enjoyed yourself Absolutely. Yeah. I love, like I said, it's probably my fault we've got over. I could waffle and you could talk about this all day. So thanks for having me. It's been, uh, it's been really, uh, it's always nice to talk about. It's nice to know that the research is out there and people are reading it as well. Mm. So it's always quite nice for me, not from an ego perspective, but just kind of a, an educational perspective. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think Thank the research you. you're doing is really important and, um, yeah, I, I, I love, I love what you're doing. And like, you know, the reason I set up my minds is because I want to help with this kind of stuff. And I love that you're, you're, you're doing that. And so thank you for, thank you for being a presence in this, in this world. <laughs> thank you. No, thanks George. And uh, keep going. The podcast, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm catching it. It's my, my drive to work stuff is uh, the podcast. So I use it in the car. It's better than mindlessly sitting in traffic. <laughs> well, it's quite educational as well. So I really like, and it, uh, cause it's a content I'm so passionate about. It's really nice to get some different perspectives as well from the people mm. who get on. It's, we can get bogged down in my own kind of pathway of research, but then listening to some of the, 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 the people you have on, it's like, Oh, I've not thought about that. And then it, it, it really inspires me as well. So yeah, keep going with it. Really thank you. It. Thank you. I think I said to you on, on message, but the podcast for me is just, it's an excuse for me to talk to really cool people that I, I, I find interesting. So yeah, I love it as well. Um, thank you everyone listening at home for, for making it through once again. Um, it was our pleasure for you to be listening to us. I don't know why I said that, but here we are. <laughs> thank you <laughs> everyone. Uh, and I will see you at the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at My Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out myminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.